Good evening, everybody. Before we start tonight, I just want to let you know about a couple of things that I've, I've, I've come across that have been helpful to me as we think about uh, sharing the gospel. Uh, one, one's a recent purchase for me. Uh, I found this, uh, it's called the Evidence Study Bible. It actually happens to be in the New King James Version. Um, but it was, uh, it's, it's got commentary in it by Ray Comfort, if you're familiar with Way of the Master and things like that. So they, they sell that. It has a lot of different quotes in it, a lot of uh, things about how to answer questions and objections to the gospel. Right. So like I'm looking at Proverbs 20 and it says, you don't have to be a Christian to be a good person. And there's a whole article about that from the scriptures about how that is not true. So um, it's a uh, it's great, great book. You can, uh, it's livingwaters.com, I think is the website. The other one, uh, we've mentioned this already, but uh, Helping Children Understand the Gospel. It's by a, a group known as Truth78, um, affiliated with uh, um, Desiring God, the, the organization that, that John Piper is in charge of. Uh, but it's their, their children's division. And so... Um, has some things about helping understand how children grow and their understanding and so what you can reasonably expect as you're uh, raising your children and understanding how to share the gospel with them and then has a 10 point gospel presentation um, and like little devotionals to go along with that which we're actually using as part of really the backbone for our our, uh, the content portion of uh, our study of the gospel so I've got two different copies up here uh, they're they're the same book. They're just different editions, and so they look a little different. Um, anyway, those are up here for you. Um, if you have your notes, and I think Pastor Cody's got some extra copies, and if somebody needs a copy, let's let's get started. Um, let's review where we've been so far. Uh, last time we were together, we we had our our Nepal trip uh, recap. Before then, we talked about um, really how the gospel is not just some steps that you can take to improve your life or a way that you can gain salvation, eternal life. Um, actually, it's, it's, it's what the word gospel means. It's good news. It's a proclamation of a victory that's taken place in the greatest war in the history of mankind, right? In the history of the universe. And so it's the, it's the proclamation, the good news that Jesus Christ has defeated sin, death, and the grave by laying down his life as he was lifted up on the cross and then taking it back up again as he rose again from the grave. And so with that then, um, we want to talk now about what, what, is, what is this good this good news message? How do we break that down? It's, we talked about four different threads right? that, that uh, we see running throughout the Gospels. We see running throughout the Bible and we've also talked about not only about understanding each of these threads, but then some practical things at the end of each lesson about how to weave these threads through your daily life. I told you about how what my, one of my greatest struggles that when I think about sharing the gospel with people is how do I turn from daily conversation, regular conversation, if there is such a word uh, or such a phrase, into talking about Jesus, talking about the gospel. And coming to the conclusion, being convicted of, of really that regular conversation, daily conversation, should have the threads of the gospel running through it. And, uh, and if, if, if my, my conversation with people had was more in line with what God's word says about what's good, right, and true, 
then it's really not as difficult to make that turn because the gospel is already part of your conversation. Does that make sense? Okay. All right. So we've talked about, we, last, uh, last time we talked about how, again, um, we talked about God. This is the first thread of the gospel. We start where the Bible starts, right? Genesis 1.1, God created, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Okay. We talked about three specific things in that. And you see that in the recap part of your notes. There, got a couple of blanks for you to fill in. God is the sovereign what? Creator. He is the sovereign creator of all things. There you go. He's the sovereign creator of all things. I forgot to, to list a couple of verses to go with that, but if you've got your notes from last time, you've got those verses as well. So number two, God created people for his glory. That's right. Right? We are made in His image, we are made in His likeness, and he, we were made to reflect the glory of God to the, to the cosmos, to the, to the whole creation. All right? um, so by, by showing His character, uh, then we uh, display Him to all creation. Number three, God is holy and... Anybody else remember the other word? Just is a good one. Truth. Eternal. He is holy and righteous. He's holy and righteous. Which, by the way, if you're if you're starting to get these down, congratulations, you've got the first three points of that ten point presentation of the gospel that that's in this book, uh, helping children understand the gospel. Hint, hint. Our our youth already know it, right? That's something that that brother Richard and brother Corey uh, and and uh, I think. Cody, you were helping with that too, weren't you? Cody DeLetri, you were part of that series, I think. Um, sharing the gospel, um, helping them understand and memorize the gospel. Praise the Lord. All right? So, here we go. So, God is the sovereign creator of all things. God created people for his glory. God is holy and righteous. And we talk specifically about how God, in being holy and righteous, everything about him is holy and righteous. Right? His commands are holy and righteous. And they show us, his commands show us, how to be holy like Him, right? But in order to glorify God, we must obey all of His commands all the time. And we talked about last time how that, that should start making us nervous right there, right? The, when I start thinking about all of His commands, even just a handful that I can think of, I don't always keep those. And I would, I would dare say maybe you don't either, right? So... Now let's think. So let's think about this. We don't reflect God's character like we should. We do not show the world His character, and so now with that, we need to ask the question: Why? Why don't we? Why don't we uh, image forth God's glory and showing His character? Why are we not holy as He is holy? Um, so let's talk about this the content. What the gospel says about man. So this would be point number four, I guess. Point number four, man is sinful. Sinful. That's right. Sinful. And so now if we're, again, the idea, the word kind of spells it out for us. What does sinful mean? To be full of sin, right? So let's let's first go back and say then what does sin mean, right? Um, Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology defines it this way, and you see that there in your notes. Sin is failure to conform to the moral law of God. 
Sin is failure to conform to the moral law of God, to, to fail to agree, I guess you could say, failure to conform with the moral law of God in act, attitude, and nature. Okay? Act, attitude, and nature, right? You may have, you may have heard it said before, um, was it uh, thought, word, and deed? But also there is this, this, uh, there is this element of nature that we need to deal with as well. So we'll, we'll get there. Let's look, uh, that, especially as we think about this idea that, God, that sin is failure to conform. Let's think about Romans 3.23. Can anybody just recite Romans 3.23 off the top of their heads? There you go. Right? That's one of those Romans Road gospel uh, verses, right? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so that's that's what it means. Sin really means to miss the mark, right? If we're playing darts, it would be as if I go to throw a dart and it misses it misses the dart board completely. I'm somewhere way off to the side. I'm a hazard to society in throwing darts because I'm I'm that far off the mark. And so that's the idea here when we say that we fail to conform to God's moral law. When we think about, we talked about the three kinds of law in the Old Testament. What would be the best way that we could describe uh, the moral law of God? What's one place in the scripture that we can see really consolidated in one place the moral law of God? The Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments, that's right. All right, as, as Hattie used to say, the Ten Commandments. Um, she's not going to be very happy with me for saying that. Uh, so, but then we see, right? We see God's law, God's moral law. You shall have no no other gods before me. You shall not make an idol out of anything. Do not do not take the name of the Lord in vain. So it goes on on and on, right? And we see that there. And I've actually included that that uh, that uh, reference for you there. Exodus twenty verses one through seventeen. That is a long passage. We don't have time to read that tonight. Um, but uh, one I did want to point out to you, uh, you have Genesis 39, 9 there. Joseph uh, being, uh, as he is, uh, he's, the son, he's the grandson, great-grandson of Abraham. He's been sold into slavery in Egypt. He is serving in the house of Potiphar. And this, he's this, this guard, this captain of the guard there. And so he is, he, and God is with him. And he rises up through the ranks. Nothing is held back from him at all Potiphar's house, except for Potiphar's wife. Potiphar's wife makes a pass at him numerous times. And what is Joseph's response? He says, you see how like, there's nothing that's held back from me. I have all this authority. And then he says this. How then can I do this wickedness? How then can I do this wicked thing and sin against God? Right? Not, not just against Potiphar. Joseph realizes everything that he has, everything that he's gained is from the Lord. And so he says, how can I do this thing and sin against God? Right? He equates the two. Right? To do this action is to sin against the one that gave me life and breath and everything. Okay? So we see that there. Uh, let's see. Uh, Romans 3, 10 through 18. Uh, this is, that, this is uh, that passage, just that laundry list of of uh, our moral moral qualifications for being under God's wrath, right? There is no one righteous, no, not one. Uh, and then it concludes at the end by saying, there is no fear of God before their eyes. 
This is a description of our state apart from Christ. There's nobody in this room that qualifies to be righteous. No one. Not me, not any of us. Alright? And so, how, then the question is, how did it get this way? If this is where we are, how did it get this way? And so to, to find that out, let's look back at the beginning. Let's look at Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. We're going to camp out here for a few minutes, if that's okay, and, um, and look at, again, how, did, how this all came to be. So um, we'll read uh, up to, let's see, we'll read up to verse 3. Does anybody want to read Genesis 3, 1 through 3? All right, bro. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you, uh, say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Okay, so God has created everything that exists. He has created mankind as the pinnacle of his creation, made in his image, to govern the world under the umbrella of his authority. Right? He's, given, he's given mankind, uh, Adam and Eve at this point, he's given them every tree in the garden. It's good. They're all good for food, they're all good for shade, they're all good for everything. And he sets off this one tree in the middle and says, Do not eat from the tree that is in the midst of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He says, when you eat of it, you will surely die. Okay? This is, we talked about this before, this is a covenant, right? There is there's a, one that's in authority, there's one that's in, un, un, in authority under him, and he, there, is, there is a set of, of expectations and rules, you will keep this. If you fail, the consequence is death. Okay? So this is, uh, this is a covenant here. And so, then we see in this passage, it is clear. Satan, God's enemy, attacked God's creation. The war begins, right? So he attacks God's creation by doing what? By lying to them. By lying to them, all right? So we see, and there are so many things we could say about this passage, of course. So, But for our purposes tonight, I want to I draw your attention to just a few things. First of all, uh, lie number one. Satan told Eve that disobedience would not cause death. Right? Where do we see that? Let's look at that next verse. Genesis chapter 3, verse 4. It says, Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. Right? Even just the, even just the, the, the suggestion here. Is, is an act of war, an act of treason. Okay? So this was a lie. Why? Because back in Genesis chapter 2, verse 17, God told them that disobedience would bring about death. Right? Genesis chapter 2, verse 17, it says, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Okay? So we see that there in Genesis chapter 2. One chapter later, that's already being questioned. Okay? So however, uh, Satan also lied by convincing Adam and Eve that in their disobedience, they would find freedom. They would find freedom. Now let me take a second to, to unpack this. Okay? 
So it says, so we see in the story that by obtaining knowledge, knowledge of what is good, what is evil, knowledge that only belonged to God, they could become like God themselves. Okay? All right? But the root of of the sin in the beginning, and that's there in your notes, the root of the sin is not just disobedience. It's not even just getting the fruit. Right? The root of the sin was a desire to become to become God. They desired to be Lord, and that's the next blank there in your notes. They desired to be Lord over their own lives. They wanted to be masters of their own destiny. They wanted to be captains of their own soul. That's the idea here. It's not just forbidden fruit. It's the office of godhood that comes with it. Okay? So we see that there in uh, chapter 3, verses 4 through 6. Brock, you want to keep reading for me? Sure. Awesome, man. For the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Amen. Amen. So we see this, right? This is this is this is the root of this. And this is really the hook that Satan that Satan uses to ensnare mankind is the promise of godhood, the promise of being king and queen over their own destiny, over their own life having knowledge, really the ability to determine for themselves that which is good and that which is evil. Did they already have that? Yes, because they had God's commandments. God gave them everything they needed by giving them the command. And it wasn't enough. In their minds, it was not enough. Especially now, enticed by these lies. And so this is, this is where we see, I mean, what's the first commandment we see in the Ten Commandments? Gen, or Exodus chapter 20, verse 3, it says, You shall have no other gods before me. Before me meaning really in importance. Right? There's nothing that comes before me in order, in orders of magnitude, in in place of prominence in your life, nothing comes before me. Why? Because he is creator of everything that exists. And he owns everything he created, including us. And he is king over everything he owns. Therefore, we belong to him. He is our ruler and he deserves the uppermost in our affections. Okay? So, and this desire, this desire to to um, this attitude of I desire to be God instead of God led to death. It led to spiritual death. And you see that there in your notes. This desire led them to spiritual death. Let's look there at uh, Romans 5, verse 12. Romans 5, 12. Anybody want to read that? <clears throat> Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sin. Amen. All right. Well, and let's look down uh, just a little bit further in that same passage. Let's look at verses 18 and 19. 
That would be great. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many will made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Amen. So, and obviously there's some content that we're not getting into just yet with the gospel, but for now, suffice to say, we see that we see two different references here to our sinfulness, right? We see, um, even specifically here in, the, we'll look back at verse 12, therefore just as uh, through one man, sin entered the world and death through sin. Sin will take you farther than you want to go, and it will leave you there longer than you want to stay. It always brings death along with it. Always. Always. Alright? And so we see again, we see that, again, death follows sin. We also see that guilt comes along with it. We see that there in verses 18 and 19. As through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Right? This is being held morally, legally guilty before the, the king and judge of the universe. We see that the same uh, idea here. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. Takes me back to Psalm chapter 1, right? Where we see, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of the scornful, Right? This is the idea that that moral downslide, right? That going on bad advice, then standing in the way, being uh, placing yourself in that path, and then having a comfortable sit down in that, so that now you're now scoffing, being scornful towards those who are righteous, and chiefly towards God. And that's the idea here. That along with that comes not only uh, condemnation, guilt, but death, right? So as a result, and this is where we see uh, John and John, I mean, Jesus in John chapter eight verse forty four, he tells the the Pharisees of all people, the religious leaders of the day, that they're not children of God, they're not children of Abraham, that they claim to be. He tells them they're actually the result is we're children of the devil. We're children of the devil. Now that sounds like a really weird phrase. Let's unpack that. Let's let's look first. Someone read for me. John chapter 8, verse 44. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. That's right. So as sinners, then, we share the desire of Satan to be our own God. We want the same thing. It's always been the same. That's what Satan wanted. In in heaven, he said, I will ascend above the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Right? We've been talking about that in Revelation. Right? This is in in our Sunday school class. Then he makes this the, the temptation through which Adam and Eve are ensnared. Right? You will be like God, knowing good and evil. And so ever since then, all sin is rooted in idolatry, making chiefly above all things ourselves to be our own God. Okay? So that's the way this works. 
This desire led them to spiritual death. And as a result, again, we are not children of God. We are children of the devil. And that's there in your notes. So as sinners, we share the desire of Satan to be our own God. Through Adam and Eve, or sorry, though Adam and Eve were created good, they and we have become sinful by nature. So now we get to this idea of being sinful by nature. Um, a great verse that explains this um, is Jeremiah 17, 9. And so if somebody could read that for me while we're going there, this does not mean that being sinful by nature, that we as being sinful people, children of the devil, it doesn't mean that we're as bad as we could be. Right? And there's that's part of the, that's part of the snare, that we could easily turn and find somebody and be like, oh, I'm way worse off than... Then that person back there, right? That's we could all do that, couldn't we? Or at least in our minds we can, right? We think we can. And so that's part of the that's part of the deception that we ourselves are deceived with. Alright? But what it means then is that every intention of our hearts is evil. It's always focused on self. Always. And again, this is where we are apart from Christ. Okay, so and I love how Jeremiah. It hurts. I can't can't deny it. But Jeremiah puts it beautifully here. Uh, someone read Jeremiah seventeen nine. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Amen. Right. And, and, he, and actually, go ahead and read. Go ahead and read verse ten. I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. So keep verse 10, file that away for just a minute. But we see here, again, it means that our heart is deceitful. It lies. It wants what's not true. It wants what's not good, what's not right. We desire to be kings and queens of ourselves. Okay? And so now in being sinful by nature, let me, let me just... Well, no, I'm I'm trying not to step on what I'm saying later on. So, in being sinful by nature, from birth now, all people, this is in your notes, are alienated from God. Alienated from God. Cut off. Set apart from Him. This is part of the idea was that we were supposed to be set apart unto Him. But because of sin, we are set apart from Him. Right? So, uh, from birth, all people are alienated from God, live lives that are hostile to God, live lives that are hostile toward God, and are objects of the wrath of God. Objects of the wrath of God. So, we'll look at a couple of different places here. Um, let me. I'm going to list out a couple of verses. Somebody read for me Psalm 53 8. Can I just get somebody to put a hand up for that? 58 3. 58 3. Psalm 58 3. You got that code? Sure. Awesome, man. Thank you. Uh, Psalm 51 5. All right, Travis. Thank you. And then Ephesians 2 1 through 3. All right, thanks, man. All right. So let's see. Psalm 58, verse 3. The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they are born, speaking lies. Okay, so this is 
one of the reasons why we are we <laughs> that we understand that the the life begins at conception is that we also then have to understand that sinfulness begins at conception, right? The wicked are estranged from the womb, right? We we've been talking about going through catechism with my girls and saying who you know uh, who made you? God made me, right? Where did God make you? God made me in, in my mother's womb. And, these, and the Bible says here, from the womb, we are sinful. All right? All right? So then Psalm 51.5. Who had that? Was it Travis? Thank you, sir. Behold, I was brought forth in victory, and in sin my mother conceived me. Mm-hmm. Same word, that same thing. And then Matt, uh, Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Amen. So again, we see there in Ephesians 2, right, that you were dead in your trespasses and sins, right, this desire to be God, to be king over all creation, it leads to spiritual death. We are now cut off from God, set apart from God, therefore there is no inclination, no ability, no desire to do what is good. So we have that conversation of what does that mean about free will? Oh, you have free will according to your nature, Right? If you've been cut off from God, if you've been separated from the only thing that is good, right, and true, well, then what's left? Only that which is opposed to Him. If if you've been estranged from the light, then all you have left is darkness. And so that's why, when this is what the Scriptures are saying when it says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Right? So then it says, uh, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, this is the road that leads to destruction. And many are on it. This is the way that the, the, the rest of the world, those that are not trusting in Christ, there is no middle ground. If you're not on the narrow way that leads to life in Christ, you are on the broad road that leads to destruction. And this is what the Scriptures say right here, that you were walking this way. According to the prince of the power of the air, this is a term used for Satan. Right? The spirit who is in work now in the sons of disobedience. Right? We've already talked about that, right? You are not children of Abraham. You are not children of God. You are children of the devil because you share in his desires. What he desires, you follow his pattern. You want what he wants to be God in place of God. And then. Uh, with, uh, among, among whom we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, again, desiring what we don't have, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and we're by nature, now by nature, children of wrath, being wrathful toward each other, but also, yes, being objects of God's wrath. Right? We see elsewhere in the scriptures where wrath being stored up for us on the day that Christ returns. Alright, so, what does that mean then? And I want us to kind of, now, kind of pivot a little bit. I want us to see the other side of this coin. Not only is man sinful, point number five, God is just and right 
to punish sin. God is just and right to punish sin. We see that there in Romans 1.18. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. So again, we see the wrath of God revealed against what? Against ungodliness, unrighteousness of men. Why? Because they suppress the truth. What leads them to suppress the truth? Unrighteousness. Again, if you've been if you've been cut off from God, which we have in our sin, we have we have nothing to do with the light. We don't want to do that. There's no fear of God before our eyes, right? We we run from the light. John three says because we don't want our deeds, our sinful, dark deeds, to be exposed. And so again, it says the God God is the sovereign Creator, the owner, and the King of all things. Which means that he alone has the right to be the judge. See that there in your notes, right? He's the sovereign creator, the sovereign uh, sovereign owner, the sovereign king of all things. Which means he is also the judge. The sovereign judge. Ezekiel 18, verse 4. Somebody want to read that for me? Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the Father as well as the soul of the Son is mine. The soul who sins will die. Yeah. Right? And what's the grounds on which God makes that? Makes that proclamation that the soul that sins shall die? Because all souls are his. Why? Because he made them. He owns them. He is their ruler. He is our ruler. Alright? Again, so we see here God's just and right punishment then is not just spiritual death, because that's exactly what happened in the garden. Right? Adam and Eve sinned. But yet they stay alive. How does that happen? Though they may have physical life, spiritual life has been taken from them. That's why they feel shame. So we, so then you see mankind existing in this zombie-like state, right? There's physical life, yes. But spiritual life, no, they're dead. And then because now we live in this Genesis 3 world, this sinful world, this world of wars and hurricanes and, and sickness and things like that, then death, physical death happens. We see spiritual death, physical death, and now we see God's ultimate, ultimate punishment for sin, and that's eternal death. Eternal death. God's just and right punishment for sin is eternal death. Suffering forever, or suffering under his wrath forever in hell. We've heard debates and books written and all kinds of arguments made in the last several years about, well, what is hell really? Is it just is it just a word the New Testament uses for a garbage dump outside of Jerusalem? Are we saying that this is there, are we saying really that this life is hell and that really salvation is just kind of Changing your state of mind, the way that you look at this? No, let's look at what, what, the, what the Bible says. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. Somebody read that for me. In flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. And when the Bible uses phrases like everlasting destruction, I think of destruction as a pretty final thing, right? Something's destroyed, it's gone, it's no more. But then we see 
a, 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 a modifier on that word that makes it extensive, makes it eternal, right? Everlasting, eternal destruction. We don't have a category for that. And if, if the Bible uses phrases like a lake of fire and sulfur and brimstone, weeping, wailing, and gnashing of teeth, do you think that the Bible uses those kinds of words for something that's less painful than those physical things that the language is referring to? We hear words like lake of fire, which I can't even wrap my head around, because human language fails to describe how awful this wrath is that awaits those that do not know the Lord Jesus. And friends, if we know Jesus and we're aware of what the Bible says about hell, we don't want anyone to go there, ever. I don't wish that on my worst enemy. And so this is what we see. right? And, and what does Romans 6.23 describe all of this? Death. Eternal death. It describes it using one word. Wages. And we'll go through just that first half of it because we get to talk about the second half of Romans 6.23 next week. Praise God. But it says, for the wages of sin is death. If you've got a job, that means that you work, you put in time and effort and, and in, and in uh, re- repayment for that, you get your wages. You get a check. You get a direct deposit. You get something back for that time and effort that you put in. And what the Bible is saying is that we have worked for something. We've worked and are justly receiving back the payment for which we are due. And it's death. That is, that is not good news, is it? So with that then, if death is our just and right wage for sin, then our only hope for life then is a gift. Is a gift. A gift of perfect righteousness that's to replace our own. Because friends, if it's about us coming up with some sort of righteousness on our own, we ain't got it. So that leads us in perfectly for next week where we talk about the third thread of the gospel, Christ. This is where the gospel really does begin. We can begin to see how this is good news. And so uh, with a little bit of time we've got left, I want us to think about application. How to weave this thread of the gospel into your life. Okay? One thing I left off last time and I, I, I want to bring it up here. Um, we talked last time about being created in God's image. Um, and so with that, I think there is this thing that we sometimes forget. That because we're made in God's image, and when I, may, when I say we, I mean all of us. Every single person living and breathing and walking on this planet right now. Because every person is made in the image of God. Then we must speak to and about each of them with respect. Oh, friends, that's hard. I feel like maybe it's it's harder to do that now than in any time in history because we see photos 
we see, we read news articles, we hear, we, we watch videos, listen to podcasts all the time where people are, are totally um, treating people with disrespect as if they are not human. Has that always been the case? Of course. But I feel like now we just, we are inundated with it on such a level all the time, every day. And it's good for us to be reminded every single person on this planet, every single one of them made in the image of God and worthy of respect and dignity and honor. And every single one of them needs to hear this gospel. Because God is... And not because of a sense of guilt, not because of anything else, but because God is worthy of the glory of that person. Not that they're worthy, because we weren't. We aren't. But God's worthy. So... First of all, that. Secondly, as we talk about sin, man, this is hard. Um, speak humbly about how serious sin is. Speak humbly about how serious sin is. And with that then, a specific example, humble yourself before God and others when you have sinned. Humble yourself before God and others when you have sinned. I have found myself in the last couple of years um, having to apologize uh, more than I ever thought that I ever needed to apologize before. And, and, uh, and uh, some of that being to small children, to my children. That's tough. Because then there's that inner dialogue of like, well, but what if they don't respect me after I apologize? What if I lose some sense of authority in my in my family, right? And friends, what I've learned over and over again is that me being willing to humble myself in front of my family, in front of my children, in front of my wife, is I've gained more respect for my family that way than anything else. There's something about us being willing to make ourselves low that God uses to exalt. So, uh, again, speak humbly about how serious sin is. Humble yourself before God, yes, and others when when you've sinned. Uh, Next, speak honestly about our weakness to sin. Nobody, nobody is immune to sin. As as a friend of mine once, uh, once said, uh, we are all just a step away from stupid. <laughs> right? I start thinking about how well I've been doing today. Yeah, man, this is great. I've been thinking about the scriptures and I've, I've been really kind and humble. And Oh, wait a minute. There goes that humility one, right? So this is, yes. So speak honestly about our weakness to sin. And then specific examples. Acknowledge sinfulness in and around you. Right? Acknowledge sinfulness that I am sinful. Right? There's nothing good in me but Christ. Uh, and then acknowledge the effects of sin in and around you. Right? We live in a world that is marred and twisted by sin. 
It affects the way that we act towards others. It affects the circumstances of our life. This is not how it's supposed to be. And what a window that is for us to talk about the gospel. And please hear me. I don't say this because I've got it all figured out. These are things that I that praise God. Other people have taught me, and I want to just pass on to you. And so, what I want us to do. Well, how much time do we have? Just a few more minutes. So, what I want us to do is, I, I want you to. I want to. I want to pray with you real quick, and then I want to give you some time just to turn to somebody next to you and like brainstorm about what are some what are some instances where we could use some of these things. Okay? I had intended for us to have a little bit more time than this for that, but my apologies. Um, let's pray and then um, uh, spend some time doing some work in groups. If you have questions, raise a hand, get my attention. I would love to answer questions if I can. Let's pray again. Father, we thank you so much for the gospel. Lord, we confess that it is good. We, uh, we thank you, God, that in your love for us, that you show us that we're sinners. Lord, how would I ever know Christ were it not for the fact that you had revealed to me my sin and brought me to a place of being poor in spirit, being spiritually bankrupt, knowing that I can't earn righteousness on my own and that I need a righteousness that is foreign to me. Thank you, God, for the bad news of the good news of the gospel. Lord, would you help us now to to weave these threads into our lives, to speak about them from the Scriptures, to encourage one another, to uh, even to engage and to hold each other accountable when we see unrepentant sin lurking in our lives. Lord, because we're a family, we love each other. So help us in this. Help us more than anything, Father. Help us to be a church family that loves you above all things and therefore seeks to proclaim the gospel in Callahan and to the ends of the earth. We pray in Jesus' name.